to the God Coffee and Resilience Podcast, where you can get your weekly dose of confidence, motivation, and inspiration in the midst of adversity. In every segment, we will discuss faith, life's obstacles that try to get in our way, and how we can maintain our resilience with God and a whole lot of coffee. I am Reese, your host. Grab a mug of your choice and come on in. Welcome back to God Coffee and Resilience with Reese. I am your host, and today we have a very special guest with us. His name is Francisco Escada, and today he's going to be talking to us about his resilience story and how he overcame a very, very, very hard thing, which I don't want to get into and give it away. But to start with, I just want to say hello, good morning, and thank you for being on the show. Hello. Good morning, Garrett. Good morning. It's Francisco Acosta. So you were very close, <laughs> but but uh, that's all right. And um, yeah, no, uh, I'm I'm very very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, when I saw your comment um, and you kind of gave me a little snippet of your story, I couldn't resist reaching out to you and having you on your show. You have a very powerful story. And I think it's going to help a lot of people, or at least they can tell other people about your story that might be in the same place or headed <laughs> that way. So I'm excited. Um, yeah. To start off yeah. with, I wanted to do like an icebreaker. Um, and it's very, it's not like very well thought out, like two truths and a lie or anything like that. But I thought it would be cute. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be cute to say, um, tell me three things about yourself that most people wouldn't suspect or most people don't know. Okay, that's actually pretty easy. Um, I'm a vegetarian and which is very counterintuitive because I don't look like a vegetarian. And uh when people ask me how do you become a fat vegetarian, my answer is dedication. <laughs> so that's one thing. Uh, let's see. The other thing is that I don't uh, drink alcohol or consume any kind of drugs. Um, and the third thing is that I'm an ordained clergy and have performed three weddings. Uh, back in 2006, uh, one of my best friends uh, who I've known for ages, like 30 something years, um, uh, asked me to officiate his wedding. It, it, he had already gotten married in Vegas but he wanted to have uh, an official wedding um, for his family, or not a, a non-official wedding for his family, I should say. And I didn't need to get ordained, but I thought it would be interesting to do it. And I was right. It was really easy. It took five minutes on the internet um, and you're ordained for life. So I still have the card and I, and I, I can legally marry people. Um, and it's pretty amazing, but yeah, that was a cere that was a ceremonial wedding, but that was the first time I did it. And then I did it, uh, two times previous, uh, two times uh, after that. And then the last time I did it, uh, was six years ago, I believe for my best friend's wedding and, and legally married them. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Your bestie, you married your bestie. That's awesome. I don't think a lot yes. of people can say that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, I imagine it's a real small number. <laughs> yes, because I'm like, what? So now you taught me something new that you can get ordained online and you can just go out and marry people. But I think that's wonderful because I yes. love weddings. I love weddings. So Weddings are fun. They yeah. are expensive and stressful, but the day of is so beautiful. 
so beautiful. Yeah. I, I did not experience stress in my wedding at all because I didn't have an emotional attachment to the outcome. I'm, I'm very much about putting your focus on the effort and letting the outcome be whatever it's going to be. And so I said, I said to my fiance, I was like, look, man, you know, this is not our marriage. Our marriage is our life. This is a day. This is a, this is a, a, a religious ceremony followed by a party. That's all this is. So let's have fun and not take it too seriously. It doesn't have to be perfect because perfect doesn't exist. So let's just relax. And we did. We had a great time. We had karaoke at the wedding. It was phenomenal. Hi, Janine. How are you? By the way, she's my ex-wife now, but we're like best friends. So she's going to watch this. So hi, Janine. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I wish most people thought like that because you have the shows like, um, Bridezilla and, um, not say yes to the dress is not yeah. too dramatic, but you know, like the wedding shows and everybody's tearing up everything and fussing people out and all that stuff. And then, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I feel really bad for women in that, in that context, because they, you know, society tells them that you're nothing without being a wife and you're thinking about this stuff from the time you're seven years old. Whereas guys are thinking of it the morning of. <laughs> right. Right. So big difference that's, there. That's a very good perspective. Um, yeah. <laughs> From the time we're seven, definitely. Um, okay. So I want to jump right into the um, interview part of things. And um, the interview is very laid back, kind of conversational, of course. And the, my very first question is, where did you grow up? Okay, so I was born in the Dominican Republic, so I'm an immigrant, and uh, here legally, so everybody calm down, but uh, when I was two, uh, my mother and my father moved to America because there was um, a military uprising happening in the Dominican Republic, so they basically escaped, um, and uh, I was raised and grew up in Washington Heights, New York City, which was like the roughest neighborhood in New York city. So that, right. that was my, that was my formative years. Uh-huh. And then um, like being that you were like in one of the most roughest cities, I got to ask, like, how would you say your childhood was um, your siblings? Well, my childhood was like every childhood in, in the sense of, you know, children don't have any responsibility. They eat for free. They travel for free. They have chauffeurs. They have, you know, they, they're, they, they don't have to carry keys. They don't have to carry ID or money. Uh, and nobody tells them the truth about anything. So right. your childhood's usually great. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Did you have any siblings? Are you the only child? Uh, I had uh, two. Uh, my sister died about five years ago. My my brother is five years older than me. Uh, we didn't grow up in the same place uh -huh. um, after I was like three or four because my mother divorced my father and remarried when I was seven. Uh, but uh, they, I, I had very strong family ties growing up. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So um, getting into the topic for today, um, how old were you when you had your brain surgery? Um, right. That happened right before my 48th birthday. Yeah. It was, it was like three weeks before my 48th birthday. And, and coincidentally enough, uh, Adam York from the Beastie Boys uh -huh. died of a brain tumor the same week that I was in the hospital with my brain tumor, which was okay. really trippy, but yeah, but yeah, I was, I was 47 years old, uh, and it was quite an ordeal. 
What? Well, you know, like, I don't know if you know, like, I'm a physician assistant. So, like, do you know, like, what type of brain tumor it was or where it was? Yes, it was a it was a meningioma tumor, which uh, ironically is uh, uh, something that mostly women get. Uh-huh. Uh, as a matter of fact, Mary Tyler Moore had the same kind of brain tumor, um, which I joke that and say that's me in touch with my feminine side. Yes, my grandmother um, was just diagnosed with a meningioma in her frontal lobe. It's slow growing. Mm. It's usually benign, but she um, she's having a lot of problems with it. But she's 82. Um, so my mm. grandmother chose not to have any extraordinary measures. She doesn't want surgery. She doesn't want chemo. Mm. She doesn't want anything. She's just going to roll like it is. And we support her with that because I would imagine if I was 82, I don't want nobody, you know, doing all that. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. More than likely the the surgery is more risky than the tumor at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So she's just deciding to let it roll. Um, Okay. Okay. So um, when you had your surgery, you was like 47. When you had Mm -hmm. your consultation with the, um, with the provider, like with the brain surgeon. And he was like, okay, this is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. Like, how are you feeling? How was your emotions at that time? Did you ever have a doubt in your mind? Like, okay, am I really going to do this? Is this something I want to do? Like, did you ever second guess? So I'll answer those out of order. Uh, No, no second guessing whatsoever. Um, Very much about being in the moment and just doing what's next. I actually like studied that. That was, that was something that was a focus of mine for five years. Uh, just the idea of be here and now, cause that's the only place we literally can be. Right. And then whatever life presents to you as to what is next, Uh then just step into that. So, you know, think about the film Forrest Gump. Uh huh. I base a lot of my life on that film because if you if you ever watch the film again, what you'll notice is anytime uh, someone asks Forrest to do something, right. he just says okay without thinking about it, and he just does it, right? Uh-huh. And as a result, he had a phenomenal life because he was always saying yes to life. Right. That's actually how I met my second ex-wife. Is I said yes to a blind date, mm-hmm. and you know now I have a friend of twenty-two years as a result. Right. Okay. Okay. So no second guessing. All right. So you went in, you had the Yeah. So I'll I'll answer the first part of the question now. So Uh how was I feeling during the consultation? Well, I can tell you that the way I found out about my tumor was unusual. Um, I had had symptoms and I had gone to the doctor, but when I went to see the doctor, he wasn't there. So his RN uh, did the... um, or the nurse practitioner, I forget who she was. She, she did the, uh, the exam. And after I described my, uh, symptoms, she didn't know enough to understand that tests were in order. Uh-huh. Uh, she just was like, you know, it sounds like you have vision issues. So go to the eye doctor. And coincidentally, I had already scheduled an exam with an eye doctor just because it was time for me to get new glasses. And after, the thorough, cause it was an ophthalmologist, not just an optometrist. So they did a battery of tests on me, uh-huh. uh, just for, it was just a regular thing about new eyeglasses. Right. And when all the nurses did the tests, they left the room about five minutes later, the, the doctor comes in 
And his way of introducing himself to me was to say, you have a potentially fatal brain swelling and you should go to the emergency room right now. <laughs> right. So now this is where my feelings kicked in. Uh-huh. But because of the aforementioned habit I have of stepping into what's next, the first thing I said to him was, can you do me a favor and explain that to my mother? Because my mother was still driving at the time and she was there because we knew that we were going to dilate my pupils. So she was going to drive home. So luckily she was there and I asked him to explain it to her because she, she wouldn't have really heard it coming from me. Right. So I asked him to do it. He did it. And then we drove. So in the ride to the hospital, which was somewhere in the 10 or 15 minute range, I felt sad uh, because I thought my life was over. Right. Because, you know, when someone tells you potentially fatal, those are powerful words. Right. And so I was sad. I, I had sent uh, an email to, to my uh, second ex-wife um, uh, basically saying, hey, I know things uh, are what they are between us, but I love you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, more, more on that in a minute. But um, after I went through that part and I said to my mother, you know, if I die, it's going to be okay because I've had a phenomenal life. And I cried a little bit, and that was the end of it. I never had a negative emotion associated with this ever again. Um, I got to the doctor, uh, to, the, to the hospital, told them what was going on. Then they started the test, and then they started the, you know, then the eventually the surgeon made his way to me, said what we had to do, and I was just like, okay, 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 just like Forrest Gump. I was just, okay, okay, let's just do it. Like, like first of all, my opinion in the situation meant nothing because what do I know? Like, you know, so I'm, I'm relying on experts, which seems to be the smart thing to do. I don't know why people have a hard time with that, but you know, uh, they're experts for a reason. And when, when a brain surgeon tells you, you need brain surgery. And especially when you know that you've been having symptoms for months, yes. then, Hey, you know, do the brain surgery. So that was that. Okay. And then like after the surgery and everything was over, like how was your recovery period, your support system? Um, both were excellent. Um, my, I was told initially that with this type of brain surgery and the severity of the tumor, because it was pretty big, it was lodged between my brain and my skull on my right side. Uh, that's why my head isn't perfectly symmetrical anymore, which is okay. Um, I can live with that, but, um, it, it, um, it actually had moved my brain over almost half an inch, which is what was killing me. Cause if it had kept pushing my brain over, eventually it would have snapped off the brain stem and just, I would have dropped dead in mid sentence. Um, so because it was so severe, I was told that that rehab would take two or three weeks. Um, but. I walked out of the hospital five days after two back-to-back -back surgeries because uh, I was told on Monday what it was. On Tuesday, they did the first surgery, which was to cut the blood flow off to the tumor. And then the next day is when they popped the top and scooped it out. And so uh, for, you know, I think it was because uh, I'm a vegetarian. Uh, my body just healed faster than they expected. That's, I mean, I have no proof of that, but that's the only thing that I can imagine that it was. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. And you just skipped on out the hospital and you were fine. 
it was definitely a much slower version of skipping, but yeah, I, I, I left feeling, uh, I left feeling the, the physical trauma of the surgery, but it wasn't intense. It wasn't like I was in pain. Uh, they, they sent me home with, uh, with a bottle of, uh, of Oxycontin, but I never took one. Uh, I took, I took Tylenol a few times, but that was as strong as I got. Okay. Okay. So did you have to do rehab of any sort or did you just like normal recovery, stay home? No, the, 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 uh, the physical therapist came to visit me. Uh, uh, I think it was on, I, so the surgery was Wednesday. She came to visit me on, on a Friday, it was either Friday or Saturday and, she looked me over. She asked me to do a few things and said, I have no work for you. You're, you're good. And then they let me go the next day. Okay. So I have to ask when you followed up with this brain surgeon, cause usually they do a follow up to make sure everything's okay or whatever they did was is mm-hmm. working or whatnot. What did he say? Because I know he had, yeah, I had several, several follow-ups. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what, what was the, like the, uh, gym- he, he just, he just said, um, yeah, he he. Every time, every exam I had, uh, after that, I mean, I I I I will say this: the first, the first two weeks after the surgery were nightmarish, um, in terms of just problems with my medication that sent me into a real problematic state, um. And, uh, problems with my kidneys for about, for a few days. So I was rushed back to the hospital like three times within a week. Um, and you know, I, I, I had, I went from never having been in an ambulance to being in an ambulance four times within the span of three weeks, you know. Uh, but, um, aside from that, aside from those minor complications, cause they were minor, n- nothing, you know, there was nothing serious happening. It was just, you know, the trauma of the surgery, just doing what it does. Um, aside from that, it was fine. And every exam I had, and, and I had a, a, you know, it was a Humpty Dumpty level of doctors that I had uh, in terms of following up because, you know, it was the surgeon, the neurologist, my primary care guy, you know, and, and then the MRIs and all these, it was a lot of following up. Um, for the, for the first two years. And every single time, uh, I was uh, in a follow up, everything was fine. Everything was fine. Was they ever like surprised? Did they ever make any comments like, oh my goodness? Or were they just like, oh, okay, well. Yeah, that, that first week, uh, when, a- after the surgery, they, they would, def- they were surprised at how well I recovered and, and how quickly I recovered. Yes, because most people like my friend, um, hey, Dale, if you're listening, he just graduated from PA school and he's going into ICU, um, preferably on neurology. He likes uh, neurosurgery a lot. Um, PAs don't get we do. We can do surgery, but we can't do surgery, of course, like on our own. It's in conjunction with the doctor. And so like he just loves being in there and using the Da Vinci and the robot and all that stuff. But I think the gotcha. most. um he, he really likes like the severity level. He also was like a medic in the army for a while, um, active duty. So he is all for like, oh, instant trauma, like running, you know, doing procedures in the dark type of thing. Bless his heart. And so wow. he, he loves neurology. And um, I know he mm-hmm. would eat it up at like your 
your ability, your resilience in this in this state, how you went in, you had faith um, of whatever background you are, whatever religion you are, mm-hmm. but you had the faith and you were just like, okay, you were confident enough where you were like, all right, whatever life, whatever cards life deal me, you know, it dealt, it, it is what it is. I'm going to just go forth right. with whatever happens, happens. And you prepared, but you came out on the other side of it perfectly fine. I mean, you had a couple of rough bumps. Yeah. Cause it wouldn't be like mm-hmm. without that, but right. I mean, I just think it's amazing how you had a tumor that could have snapped your brainstem and you recovered from that and you came and you left the hospital skipping hypothetically. Right, right. <laughs> and and, and here's the thing. Um, a hundred years ago, that would have killed me. Um, yeah. they, there wasn't the technology to, to save my life. And here's my big secret. Aside from being in the moment, I never lost my sense of humor. Yes. Like, like on Facebook, I tend not to put very personal things on there. I'm right. just not like that. Uh-huh. Nothing wrong with doing that. It's just my choice not to. Right. So what people know about me on Facebook tends to be very surface. Uh-huh. And this was the first time that I was putting something very serious on Facebook. Uh-huh. And I couldn't help but make a joke out of it. So I took a photo of myself in my in my hospital room, sitting in my bed with the hospital gown on. And I said, you know, the doctors told me that I had a potentially fatal brain swelling and it's probably because I'm a heathen. You know, like I just couldn't (laughs) I couldn't resist the temptation to make a joke of it. And the whole time I was in the hospital, I was joking around with the staff. I was making the staff laugh and maybe they were just indulging me. I don't know. I don't know if I was really funny or they were like, Oh, this guy's dying. Let's, let's laugh at his jokes. Whatever it was, it was a good time for me. Right. Um, so, um, and I think that's really important. Um, I remember the story of Joseph, Joseph Cousins, who's a man who cured himself of cancer with laughter. Uh-huh. Uh, like literally this guy was diagnosed with cancer Uh, He was told he was going to die, and he said, all right, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go out laughing. And so he had his family bring him Three Stooges tapes, and he watched Three Stooges all day long and laughed all day long, and eventually the cancer went away. All right. So and, you know, being that you're in medicine, you know that laughter is one of those things that releases uh, productive chemicals into Mm -hmm. your bloodstream. And, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, um. I, a, anti, uh, what do they call antioxidant? Um, what is that? Yeah, thank you. A- antioxidants. You can tell I'm not in medicine, right? So, uh, you know, laughter. Laughter is an antioxidant. Essentially, it, it boosts your immune system. It makes you feel good. Releases serotonin. It, it, all these things, right? Yes. And releases endorphins. So that was my way of being in the moment, retaining my sense of humor, right? And 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 also just accepting whatever was going to happen. It was never woe is me. Why is this happening to me? Because my my if I had asked that question, the answer would have been because you're a human being, and this is the stuff that happens to human beings, right? right? So I never got oh my god, how could this be? Well, of course it could be. Like why wouldn't it be? Uh-huh. You know. And I knew uh, the morning of my surgery. As uh, I was being wheeled out and I was looking up at the at the lights on the ceiling, that that could be the last thing I ever saw. I was consciously aware of that, mm-hmm. but that didn't scare me. 
and it it didn't make me sad. It just was an acknowledgement, like, oh yeah, this could be it, you know. And and some people think that I'm exaggerating my level of nonchalance about it, but I'm not. That's really how I was. Right, right. And I wish more people. Um, well, I I do I do realize that that level of thinking a lot of people um, do not have. Uh, that level of acceptance a lot of people do not have. And I can sit here and say I wish more people thought like that, but. In reality, they don't. Um, <laughs> they just don't, yeah. myself included. Sometimes I can catch myself going on and on and on about something that happened to me and how inconvenient it is and how I'm so sad right. or how I'm so devastated, but it doesn't solve a thing. Um, and I really admire your mindset. And I guess from Thank this you. from this interview, um, you actually inspire me to do better. <laughs> and that's oh, one of the things. Well, thank you. Yes, I wanted to interview you to inspire other people, but I'm seeing that I'm getting takeaways from all of these interviews as well, which I'm happy about because I don't know everything and the best things. But I think that with the life I have left, <laughs> I can do a better job with my mindset. And so I definitely admire that about you. Oh, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Well, you know, what, what uh, we're both describing has a lot to do with agenda. You know, like when, when you think to yourself, um, I'm going to work today, right? That's an agenda, right? And literally what that is, is a fantasy because you're not at work yet. So you're just fantasizing about going to work. Now, part of your agenda is never, I'm going to get into a car accident on the way to work, or I'm going to get a flat tire on the way to work, right? That's never part of your agenda, but sometimes flat tires happen, right? So now, as you indicated earlier, if you were to get a flat tire and then go, oh, damn it, I got a flat tire. This is ridiculous. You still have a flat tire, right? So if you're married to your agenda all the time, you're going to wind up upset a lot because nothing is ever going to happen the way you imagine that it will. Nothing is ever going to happen in that perfect way that you fantasize about it. So have an agenda, have plans, that's fine, but understand that sometimes your plans don't go the way you want. And if you understand that and accept that, then when things go awry, you go, all right, this is just the next thing I have to deal with. And then you get past it. And I, and as a result of, of that perspective that I have, I'm, I'm very rarely angry. And I don't mind getting angry. Anger is an emotion that we have. Once in a while I get angry, but it's very fleeting. Because usually right after I get angry, I make a joke about it because I realize the stupidity of it, right? And, and then I move on because um, it's just like, what am I angry about? Uh, something, something happened. Someone said something that I didn't like. Someone did something I didn't like. And now I'm angry. And it's just like half, I, I would say not even half, like 90% of the time, the stuff I'm angry about is stuff that I've done. You know, like when someone cuts me off on the, on the road. Well, I've done that, not on purpose, but once in a while you accidentally cut someone off. So that's how I make myself get over it. It's like, well, I've done that. Yeah, that sucks that he cut me off, but I've done that, you know, and things like that. It's just, it's just um, a shift in perspective, you know, and it's just a millimeter shift that you have to make in perspective and you start winding up happy most of the time. And it sounds goofy and it sounds like it's too easy. But that's really all it is. You know, like I'm grateful all the time. 
I literally have a list of things that I'm grateful about. And I read the list once in a while. It pops up on my tasks every day, my gratitude list. I don't read it every day because I've been doing this for years. But I think about like, think about us right now. We are in the first world. You slept indoors last night. You can eat whenever you want. Um, you know, you, you were, we're engaging in technologies that, that, you know, people couldn't even have imagined, uh, you know, a hundred years ago. And, you know, there are people not, not that comparison is necessary, but the fact is, is that while you and I are having this lovely conversation on this podcast, there are people rooting through garbage, trying to find something to eat. So if you can't be grateful over the fact that your life is not like that, I don't know what you can be grateful for. And chances are you're not a happy person. But I'm grateful for everything all the time. Running water. You know, I'm grateful for that just because not everybody has that. Oh, you done, you done preached a whole word. We could end the podcast <laughs> right here. You done preached a whole word. Um, but for sure, there was a meme on um, Instagram not too long ago when it said, I am rich. Um, I have air condition. My water runs at the drop of a dime. I have food in my refrigerator. I have uh, somewhere to lay my head. You know, I'm rich. And I had to read that over again. And then I reposted it on my Instagram because I was like, I'm rich too. And we have so much to be thankful yes. for. But it's so easy to lose sight of all those things and just tunnel vision on whatever's going wrong, on the one little thing that's going wrong. And so, yes. Yeah, yeah that's that's my word for like the rest of the month. So I thank you. <laughs> that oh, is it's my, my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Yes. So my last question for you is, if, and you've already given us advice, but if you have any more advice that you could give anyone that finds themselves in a, in a situation similar to yours or in any type of situation, what would it be? I will pass on advice that I heard over 30 years ago. And it was from, a, a, I will call her an old, an old woman, because she was probably in her 80s. And she said, wear the world like a loose garment. And I, I love that idea because it's really everything that we've been talking about, right? Like, just don't take things too seriously. This too will pass. Like, everything passes, you know, like on the micro level, moments of your life pass and all those moments add up to the big moment of your life. And then eventually your life's pass, life passes, which is, I mean, you know, I'm not convinced of that. It is the persistent rumor, uh, that, that we're going to die one day. So, uh, you know, if, if that's true, then it really makes sense to wear the world like a loose garment. And the second half of the advice would be seek joy in everything, be joyful in everything that you do. And, if what you're doing makes you sad, stop doing it. Find something else. Like, um, uh, it was one of my favorite quotes is, uh, cause it, it, it's not my favorite because it's a good quote. It's actually my favorite quote because it reminds me of the human condition. Um, and it's, uh, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. I heard this quote when I was nine years old and I understood what it meant. And the reason I understood was what it meant was I was always a people watcher. Uh -huh. And I saw that so many people around me look sad. You know, people on the bus, people on the train, people walking around, they just look sad. Yeah. And so when my teacher uh, read that quote in fourth grade, I knew what that quote meant. 
And now that I'm older, I see that that quote is 100% true. And I didn't want to be one of those people. I didn't want to be one of the masses that's quietly desperate and quietly sad. So I chose a different path and I worked very hard on self-development so that I could be happy most of the time. And I'm happy to say that I succeeded in that goal. And, and, you know, the, the, the way to that goal is to be honest with yourself about what your limitations are right? and what doesn't work about your philosophy and your beliefs, and then replace all of that stuff. And it's, it's not easy. It's a simple idea, but it's not easy to do. Uh, But if you do that, you'll find yourself happy most of the time. I guarantee it. Okay. Well, I love that advice. Wear the world like a loose garment. You got me there. And I was just like, huh, don't take things too seriously. And I'm the queen of worrying and taking things seriously. So, huh. All right. You got right with me. And I love the second part as well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, everybody that's listening to this episode today, I mean, I hope that you took as much from it as I did. Um, I truly enjoyed interviewing, um, uh, Mr. Acosta. Got yeah. it? Yay. Okay. Yes. Y'all, I should that. Okay. But now I know how other people feel because I used to get mad at people that butcher my name, but now I, I understand. Uh, okay. I got it. It's coming full circle. <laughs> coming full circle. But I do want to give you the opportunity to let everybody know where can they hear more of you. Um, you mentioned earlier you have a podcast and you're wearing your shirt for those yeah. of you who are watching. Yeah, this is this is one of the podcasts. This is my solo podcast, which is Chocolate Chat. Um, that's where I usually interview people myself, or I just do talking head, uh, videos, but the primary podcast, uh, which is on YouTube and on Facebook is the persistent rumor. So facebook.com slash the persistent rumor, youtube.com slash the persistent rumor. We have about 60 videos up there already, and we crank them out pretty much weekly. Um, and it's all, it's, it's basically, uh, the, the conversations that my best friend and I have, and we just decided to record them because we talk about everything. Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff you're not supposed to talk about in polite society and dinner parties and things. Um, but we, you know, I bring my 30 plus years of coaching into play. I bring, you know, public speaking since 1988, sales since 1984. You know, I've met thousands of people and I bring that all into, you know, talking about the issues of the day, talking about, you know, relationships and life and society and all that stuff, men, women, good stuff, you know, all, all that good stuff. So tune in. We have a lot of fun. The Persistent Rumor. Yes. And in other words, go subscribe, um, go follow, go subscribe, Subscribe, please subscribe, um, share, love us, love us, love <laughs> us, because I definitely love what I got today. And that's just a snippet. So I'm already subscribed you. to the YouTube. I have to subscribe. Are you on Apple, Apple podcast and Spotify? Yeah, and Every, every place that there are audio podcasts, uh, you can see even India We're we're, we're all over the world. Um, so yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm serious about this. Like, this is my joy in life is, is podcasting. This is what I want to do for a living. 
Um, and even honestly, I know this is going to sound corny, but if I never make a dime at podcasting, I believe that I will do it for the rest of my life because it brings me so much joy and happiness. Yes. And I have so much fun with my best friend. And, and I think it shows in the podcast. And so you have fun. You get a different perspective from two guys that are pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I just uh, will always keep doing it no matter what. I, you know, hey, it would be nice if I made money. But if I don't, it's okay. And uh, my therapist told me that that's how you know that's your passion. If only one person is watching or no people are watching, if you make one penny or no pennies, right. you keep doing it because of the joy and the passion yeah. you love from it. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on to God, Coffee, and Resilience. I truly enjoyed our interview today. Guys, go subscribe. Go visit the Facebook, YouTube channel and support Mr. Acosta. <laughs> And thank you guys for listening. We will be thank back. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. No problem. We will be back on our system of bi-weekly episodes. So stay tuned for the next one. Guys, take care. Bye-bye. you for tuning in to this week's episode of God Coffee and Resilience. You can also follow us on Instagram at God Coffee and Resilience Podcast. You can also follow the host, Reese, at The Resilient PA. And you can also check out our website at TheResilientPA.com.